Welcome to the Grace Vineyard Podcast, where we are building growing communities of worshipers who are becoming like Christ, empowered to do His work. We hope you enjoy this message. We're going to open up the Word, the Bible, and um, we're going to continue something that we've been doing. We've been, as a congregation, reading through the gospel, not the gospel, but the epistle. If you don't know that word epistle, um, that means a letter. I guess no one says epistle outside of the Bible, do they? There's all these Bible words. If, if you got a, a letter from, from someone, you wouldn't say, oh, I got an epistle in the mailbox, right? And no, the epistles are not the wives of the apostles. That's um, a misunderstanding. So John, the guy that wrote the gospel of John, who also wrote received and wrote down the Revelation, the last book of the Bible, wrote some letters to the churches, and they're in your Bible known as 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. So we've been reading 1st John. It's only five chapters, but we're taking our time. This is the sixth time we're together, gaining um, instruction and and lessons from it. And um, as we've said many times, John, at this point that he's writing, is an old guy. He's probably in his 90s. It's probably written around 90 AD or so, and in that range of time, and uh, he is the last living apostle that was with Jesus, and we are approaching his letter the way it feels like it's written. It feels like um, we're in the living room sitting on the floor around a grandfather in the faith who is old but not weak. He seems to be thriving. He seems to be strong. In fact, the emperors tried to kill him at least once or twice, and they can't seem to kill him because God just keeps him going strong. And so he's writing this letter, and he's thriving in his life. And what we've approached as a theme is um, learning from his example and learning from his teaching how to thrive for a lifetime. And we've covered different um, principles, and we're going to now get into a part, starting to get near the end, where he really wants to write more about the topic of love. And I'm calling this topic the multiplication of love. But to get there, to get to 1 John chapter 4, I'm first going to go read just a couple sentences from a psalm, and then I'm going to go listen in on something Jesus said on Palm Sunday, on the day of his triumphal entry, and that's going to give us the the background for what we want to say today. Sound sound like a possibility? You can stick with me in that? Going, yeah, Ron, we're with you, okay. Okay. So let's ask the Lord to help us. Lord, we approach your word not just as students. I suppose we're like students wanting to learn. We're disciples wanting to be trained. But we're sons and daughters wanting to encounter you, the living God. We ask that you come and speak to us. You have been here this morning as we have worshipped and danced and shouted and, and listened and prayed. We we have sensed your presence. We've been helped by your presence. We love you, Jesus. We love you, Father. We love you, Holy Spirit. We're utterly reliant on you. Now, as we approach your word, we pray that you would teach us and train us and inspire us and equip us and empower us to be like Jesus in our world. We praise you, Jesus, for the day that you set your heart and walked straight into Jerusalem, actually rode into Jerusalem, knowing 
that you were going to your death for me. Thank you for what you chose to do. We worship you this day. Amen. So the, the first part that I want to start with is Psalm 42, a, a familiar psalm, and it says this. Psalms, of course, are songs and poems that are to be sung as worship and describing heart, sometimes heartache, sometimes longing for God, sometimes frustration with God, sometimes lament, sometimes rejoicing. They're all over the map like poetry is, but this one starts like this. As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God. For the living God. Now, I've read that a lot in my life. We used to sing it as a kid. Anyone old enough to remember the song we used to sing in the 70s? As the deer panted for the water. Yeah. yeah. Um, I won't sing it, sorry. Or maybe thankful that you're, I'm not going to sing it. Um, and I kind of had the idea that um, strong Christians, those really deep worshipful types, they were the ones who could sing this in truth. Um, but I didn't always long for God like a deer longs for streams of water. I, wasn't always, I was thirsty sometimes for a really good cappuccino, actually, if I would be honest. Maybe sometimes more than I thought I was thirsty for God. Has anyone ever been like me? <laughs> or, yeah. Um, sometimes I would be thirsty for a really good date with Kim, my wife, or a really good vacation. Um, sometimes I long for some break. But I recently read, read this, and it jumped out at me that I'm missing it. So I read it again, and it says, the psalmist writes, my soul thirsts for God. And what I want to say to start with is that this is a principle of truth for all humans. You have a soul, and your soul thirsts for God. Whether you know it or not, you have a soul, and your soul is thirsty for God. Now, you may fill your soul with some other places. You may drink from some other sources. But trust me, you have a soul that thirsts for God, and nothing else but the love and the experience of God's love can fill what your soul thirsts for. That's true of every person on this planet. It's one of those universal laws, if there are such things, things that are just true about all people, about all time, everywhere. You were designed by God to thirst for God. And when you come into contact with the reality of that and then drink from God, you'll be satisfied. You know, if someone is um, on a desert island where there's no fresh water and they're dying of thirst and they see the salt water around and they drink it, you know that salt water actually takes away water from you and dehydrates you more than you started before you started drinking the salt water. So you end up thirstier than you were before you started drinking. That's the way it is with your soul. If you're filling your soul with the many things that this world is screaming for you to go drink from, your soul will actually get dehydrated and be even more thirsty. Is that making sense? You're with me on that. So that's just kind of the first stop as we're thinking about Remember the woman at the well, by the way? What did Jesus say? If you will drink of the water that I give you, you'll never thirst again. Same story. 
Because the water that I give you, Jesus told her, and he would tell you and me, will become in you a wellspring, a living water, an artesian well, that you will always have to drink from if you'll drink from me. You're, you have a soul, your soul thirsts for God. So the second thing, and, and Amy, thank you so much for helping us just think through and understand the, the day of Palm Sunday when Jesus was approaching Jerusalem riding on a donkey. He, that was in fulfillment of a prophecy thousands of years before in, in Zechariah's prophetic book about the coming of the Messiah. This is the phrase, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, daughter of Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you, righteous and having salvation, gentle and riding on a donkey, on, the, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. So Jesus went and got a donkey, rode in sitting on it as a triumphant king, as we understand now, but not looking like a triumphant king, as a triumphant king would probably be riding on a war horse after coming back from the victory of war, but not Jesus. He's coming in humble and showing the way that his kingdom, his kingdom, not unlike kingdoms where there are wars and kingdoms conquering other kingdoms, not unlike them, but also very much unlike them in a spiritual sense, because his kingdom is a spiritual kingdom that is coming in conquest over another spiritual kingdom, the kingdom of darkness. And the ultimate defeat of that darkness is going to come in a few days when Jesus gives his life on a cross. And the kingdom of darkness is going to think they have won a great victory against this Jesus, but in fact, on the cross, Jesus wins a great victory against the kingdom of darkness. And the kingdom of God comes in war humbly on a donkey. This is the way of the kingdom. So Jesus comes in, and, and after he comes into Jerusalem, I mean, there's such a crowd, and they are laying their, the, they, they make, make a, a welcome red carpet road for him with palm branches, putting him on the ground, and, and coats and clothing and blankets and such, so that he's riding this donkey into Jerusalem on all these things to make it like the welcome of a king, Right? And people are shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna, and the crowds are going crazy. And right before this, if you read the story in John, people are going crazy because they've heard the story of Lazarus, who had just died, had been in a tomb for four days. He was, he was not mostly dead. This guy was all dead. And Jesus calls, I'm just, you know about mostly dead, right? If you've seen Princess Bride... Or you've heard the story of my dad. Um, he was only mostly dead. Um, or maybe he was really dead. Anyway, um, Jesus calls Lazarus, come forth. And he comes out of the grave. Well, crowds are gathering around to see this event. The word is spreading. Could it be? Could it be the son of David has come? Is it the time of the Messiah? Is the kingdom of God now? They're so excited. And some people come to speak with Jesus. Some Greek that are there for the celebration of the Passover. And, and they ask him, we want to see Jesus. And he says this word. This is John 12, 24. This one I actually have on the screen for you. So remember, you have a soul thirst for God. Now here's another principle. I tell you the truth, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies... It remains only a seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. This is another universal principle. It's true of the natural world, and it's true of the spiritual world. It's, 
We could call it the, the principle or the law of multiplication, and this is how I get this idea that we're talking about the multiplication of love. But seed-bearing fruit and fruit that bears seeds is part of creation. You know, in Genesis, we hear how God created the heavens and the earth. He started out by saying, let there be light. And suddenly there was light, and there hadn't been light before. With the power of his word. Well, on the second or third day, he said, let there be vegetation that bears fruit with its seed in it, so that the seed will bear fruit plants and trees that will have fruit, that will have seed in it, and life will go on. And if you have never stopped and thought about it, it's just the craziest invention ever. You can start with the fruit and fill the earth. I eat an apple almost every day. This one was given to me. I almost want to eat it, but I won't. So in an apple, there are about average of five seeds, up to ten, sometimes only three. Average apple, five seeds. It's easy to count how many seeds are in this apple by cutting it open, but you cannot count how many apples are in the seed because, I wrote this down so I don't mess it up. Let me get the right numbers. This is amazing. An average apple tree produces about 300 apples per season. So in a season, an average apple tree will produce about 300 apples, which means it will produce about 1,500 seeds. And those seeds each could turn into a tree. So 1,500 trees in one season would produce 450,000 apples. This is with one tree, next generation. But those 450,000 apples would have 135 million seeds which, if they became trees, would produce 40 billion, 500 million apples per season. How do you like that? Remember Johnny Appleseed, the, the legend? That is part of creation, spiritually and physically. It's one of those phenomenal, amazing, fall down and worship in awe realities of this world that we don't even think about. How did God ever come up with that idea? I'm going to make trees that bear fruit, and the fruit will have seed, and the seed will fall into the ground and die, but it will turn into a tree when the sun hits it with the proper soil and some water, and that seed will turn into a tree that will have a bunch more fruit that will have seeds, and we can fill the world pretty quickly. Jesus said, unless a grain of wheat, this is on the, on the day of his triumphal entry, unless a grain of wheat falls on the ground and dies, it just remains a single seed. But if it will die, it will produce many seeds. And of course, he's speaking of his life and the death that he's going to live that's going to produce seeds. And you also remember he told a parable and said, a sower went out sowing seed, and some fell on hard soil, and the birds came and ate it, and some fell on soil that was um, 
rocky and it didn't have enough depth for the, the seed that started to grow to get any roots. So the sun came out and the plant withered and another fell on soil that could grow, but there was too many weeds and the cares of this world and everything, worries of life choked out the seed so it didn't produce, but then there was some good soil and the seed that fell there produced 30 or 60 or 100 fold. And he explained, this is the way of the kingdom of God. This is how I am going to cause the knowledge of the glory of the Lord to fill the earth like the waters cover the sea. Now, all with that background, I come to John, 1 John chapter 4, verse 7. And I'm reading from the NIV, but I'm going to complain about it and, and, uh, and tell you how I think they should have translated a couple words. Because you just missed something. You know, so we're translating from, from Greek to English. And in NIV it says, Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. I'll stop and make my little complaint right there. So if you have another translation, it might say, Beloved, let us love one another. Beloved, let us love one another. Remember that? You learned that as a Sunday school song. That's closer because in Greek, it actually says, you who are loved, love others. And you get much better understanding than you do from, dear friends, let us love one another. You, you can see with a little bit of thinking that we're talking about seed and fruit. You have received the seed of love, have the fruit of love in your lives. And it begins the multiplication process. So let's read it again. Beloved, or you who are loved, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Here's a powerful sentence. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God. <laughs> because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. Slow down and listen to these words. This is, it, it doesn't sound like the next thing I would say. It changes a little bit. This is how God showed a love, his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world in order that we might live through him. In order that we might live through him. If you are living not through him, you're not really living. This is how God expressed his love. This is how the seed of love came into the world. God sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. And that's how many seeds are multiplying. This is love, not that we loved God. Love is not defined by your and my ability to be someone who is a lover of God. No, that's not love. Love is this, that God loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. This is what love looks like. To talk about love, John talks about sin. Well, John, don't you know we don't talk about sin anymore in our century? That's just politically incorrect, and it's kind of insulting, even embarrassing to talk about sin. Why, that's hate speech. How dare you? No, this is how God... Loves. He sent his one and only son to be a Tony sacrifice for my sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us 
and His love is made complete. It's brought to perfection. It's brought to fullness in us. So you who have been loved, remember, we're sitting at John's feet. We're a bunch of believers in Jesus, but we're being reminded how to thrive in life. You who are loved by God, love one another. This is evidence that you are born of God. If you don't love, you're not born of God. You can't be. You can't be born of God and love and not love. It's kind of getting heavy now, huh? The, the word translated know in English here, those that know God and know his love, is the word gnosko in Greek, and it means to know by experience. So if we have gnoskoed God's love, if we have knowledge by experience of God's love, that love will multiply through us to others. You with me so far? This is kind of like where Jesus said, you cannot be forgiven if you don't forgive others. He's not saying, well, God's mean and he's got a certain way, and if you don't forgive others, you, he won't forgive you because that's just the way he is. No, this is the way the universe works. It's impossible to receive, to go through the process of receiving forgiveness and not be a forgiving person. Well, why do you say that? Because the only people who receive God's forgiveness are the people who are humble enough to see that they need God's forgiveness. When I come into the understanding that I have sinned against Almighty God and that I have earned judgment from a just God, and I can't make it better, and I become aware of the pain I have caused this world, if I especially become aware that not only have I sinned against you and God, but you've sinned against me and each other and God, and the whole world has sinned against each other and God, and the world is reeling under the weight of our sin, and we're helpless and we're hopeless, and it's looking really dark and bleak, and God, who is just, looks at me and says, I love you this man because I created him he has infinite worth and because I love him I'm not disgusted and angry at his sin instead I'm going to come and with my own lifeblood I'm going to become a human and with the lifeblood that I now have as a human and with the perfect life I live I am going to die a vicious death and give my all, because I love Ron, to pay for the debt his sin has incurred. If I become aware of that and say, yes, I'll receive this gift. The humility that it takes to be aware of how wretched I was and how loved I was and now how forgiven I am makes it impossible for me not to look at you and forgive you when you sin against me. It's not possible. If I receive that kind of forgiveness, I give it. That's why those who have gotten a hold of the reality of God's love cannot be judgmental people. Because if I'm judgmental toward you, there's a pride component that says, I would never do that. But when I understand, I would certainly do that. I can't judge you. Because I realize you're just like me. All I can do is help you find the love that I've received because I've received God's love. And guess what just happened? When that happens, a seed was put into me 
that was multiplied into you. This is how the love of God multiplies through the work, through the world. So just let me say this. If I'm lacking in love, my role is my solution is not to try to love more. My solution is to go receive love more. And when I receive God's love and experience the fullness and become aware of the depths of my being, of God's love for me, I become a loving person. When that multiplies, the world is changed. This is how God showed his love amongst us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. That's seed. You know, just kind of as an aside also, we talk about the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit, the fruit of belonging to Jesus is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. I think all of those fruit are seed-bearing fruit. You ever thought of that? Because when the fruit of love is expressed to me, you experience love and it multiplies in you. When the fruit of joy is expressed to me, have you ever been around a joyful person? It multiplies in you. All of the, this is the nature of fruit. It has seeds that produce the same kind of fruit. Isn't that great? Um, look at the clock. Did we start late or am I just talking so much? <laughs> so there's a, there's a story, there's a famous story of an archbishop. Well, he tells the story, and he says there, there were three little Catholic boys that went into the Catholic confessional. Any of you were Catholics that did confessional? So you can relate to this experience. And they thought they'd play a joke on the priest. They, they plotted together, they're little boys, and they thought of the most heinous, worst, horrible, incredible sins that they could go, and they'd go lie to the priest about these terrible sins they did, see if they could blow them out of the water, right? Little boys. Priests are smarter than that. So the, the three boys go one after another, and first boy went, and by the second boy, you know, he's out laughing, and the second boy goes in, their buddies, what'd you tell him? And he's, the second boy goes in, and, and the priest knows what's up, and he says, now that you've confessed these sins, I want to give you penance to do. He said, here's the penance I want you to do. You need to walk into the church up to the picture of Jesus on the cross and look in his face, and stand there and say, you did all this for me, and I care that much. Do that three times. That's your penance. The boy went in. He said it once. And the second time, he couldn't get through because he broke down crying. And the archbishop says, I know this is true because I was the boy. There's something about the cross of Jesus Christ that bypasses all of our theological debates if you see Jesus on the cross, you know God loves me. And you're changed forever. You're changed forever. And you know, you become loving, forgiving. You become a little bit more like Jesus. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his only one and one only son into the world that we would live through him. And, and that's how you thrive for a lifetime, live through Jesus.
what I just described about becoming aware of my sin, becoming aware of God's offer to receive what he's done on my behalf to wipe out the debt of my sin is the beginning of my soul being satisfied because I said the first thing is this, you have a soul and it thirsts for God. So that's why I'm bringing this all together like this. I have a soul, it thirsts for God. Jesus said, unless a grain of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains a single seed. But if it will die, it will produce a harvest. I'm going to be the one who, like a seed, falls in the ground and dies, and it will be a harvest. When I become aware of that, that seed now takes root in my life. And I experience love. And by this, love is multiplied through us, through the world. Now, do you remember where we started this series? Um, I'll read it to you. John writes this first sentence in his letter, that which was from the beginning which we've heard about Jesus, which we've seen with our eyes. We were eyewitness testimonies, which we've looked at, which our hands have touched. This we're proclaiming about the word of life, the life of pure. We've seen it. We've testified. We proclaim to you the eternal life so that you can have fellowship with us, and our fellowship is with the Father and the Son. We want you to know the truth about Jesus so that we can all together love each other and love God. Now love is multiplied. This is thriving in life. If I'm not sharing the love of God, something is... <laughs> it's not working right. When I approach a problem, a struggle in life, what I want to do is have... My life be through Jesus. I want to live through him. So because of what Jesus has done, something miraculous has happened. His spirit is now in me. I, don't know, I didn't read enough of that section. Yeah, verse. let's look at verse 10 and then read a little farther. This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we ought to love each other the same way. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us, and his love is made complete in us. We know that we live in him and he in us. That's that language. Because he's given his spirit. Cannot love if you're, you cannot not love if you're born of God. Listen, what I described about putting my trust or putting my faith and receiving God's forgiveness Jesus says, will result in me being born again, born anew, born of the Spirit. And, and here John is saying it again. So the Spirit of God lives in you now. We know it because the Spirit of God lives in you. We have seen and testified that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. Here's another complaint about NIV. This one says, if anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in him and he is he in God. That's too weak for me. Acknowledge sounds to me like saying, well, yeah, I believe that's true. But the original language is more like confesses. If I am to know this love, I have to not only go, yeah, that's true, that was good, now let's go on. I have to go, I confess that that's true, and now I'm living my life into that truth. I'm putting it all on the line. I'm putting everything I have on this. I have no plan B. 
I have no other solution. I have no other, I have no other way to live. I trust you, Jesus, that you have come into this world. You've been sent into this world as an atoning sacrifice for my sin. I believe in you. I confess you. I acknowledge you much more than acknowledge. So listen, believing is not enough. Saying that's true is not enough. You have to believe. You have to receive. This is a, this is a message we have to share with our friends. Acknowledging, yeah, I believe it's Easter. Okay, yeah, it's probably true. Jesus probably was a real person. He probably died, yeah. No. You need to confess Jesus is the Son of God, fully human, fully man, who died as the atoning sacrifice for my sins. Receive that into your life, and now you will be born of God. His Spirit will be in you, and His love will be expressed through you because God is now living through you and everything is different. So I can come to a problem, and I can go to God, and he will live the solution of the problem through me. I can come to a person who's hurting, and I can say, God, how do I respond? And he tells me what to do, because I didn't know what to do before. And I respond and do what he says to do, because his spirit's in me, and now I'm living in him, and he's living in me. I'm abiding in him, and he's abiding in me, and God's love is being expressed to another person. Is this making sense? This way, love is multiplied throughout the world. Um, I'm, you know, editing. <laughs> I, have a, I was with a group of pastors for a dinner on Friday night. Just we got together, vineyard pastors in Orange County and San Diego County, to be, we haven't been together since COVID, so we wanted to be together and worship the Lord and tell stories and encourage each other. And one of them was just telling her story of how she was in a mental hospital many years ago. She was one who cut herself, severely depressed, suicidal, just like gone. And someone brought her to church. She'd never been to a church in her life. She grew up in an atheist household. They brought her to the, the vineyard down south. For those of you know, this is a while ago, Coast Vineyard and Don Williams. Don's this like incredible preacher, and I'm like, what is it like to go from mental hospital to Don Williams? Wow. And he preached the gospel, and she thought, this is like a fairy tale. This can't be true. God loves me. He died for just what I just told you, the gospel. But she went home, and she said, Jesus, I don't know if I believe in you. I don't know if I believe. I don't know if you're real. But if this is possibly true, would you do it for me? And she said, suddenly, there was a presence, and she knew she wasn't alone. That fast, because the Spirit of God came into her. She's a pastor now. The, the Spirit of God came into her with that simple confession. And then she said the most remarkable thing. She said, and I knew this. This body of mine was his temple, and I would never cut his temple. Isn't that amazing? transformation, mental illness was healed in her case over a period of time. Whoever confesses, verse 15, that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him, and he in God. Verse 17, in this way, love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment because in this world we are like him. 
the next sentence, there's no fear in love. As speaking of the fear of the day of judgment, folks, I was going to read some more about the day of judgment as I was preparing this. You can read it yourself if you're a good student. You might want to open up Revelation chapter 20, verse 11, where the throne of God is described as the throne of judgment. The day of judgment is not imaginary. My friends and your friends are one day going to stand before the throne of God on the day of judgment. Those who have humbled themselves to say, yes, I receive what you've given me, will find that their names are written in a book called the Lamb's Book of Life. and They will not be cast into the judgment of hell. But those who've rejected God's offer of salvation, God's offer of forgiveness that he paid for in his own blood, his love expressed. Those who say, no, I don't want it. I will do it my way on my own. And for their whole life have resisted God's offer of love will stand on the day of judgment and they will be very aware as I'm aware of my sins. They will be aware of their sins. And they will not be entered into the presence of God and welcomed there. At least that's what the Bible says. I'm going to go with the Bible. Those, John says, who are thriving in life by being recipients of God's love will have no fear on the day of judgment. But it, it might be occasionally good to imagine the day of judgment because it's coming. And imagine the day of judgment for my friends. Is that talk of hate speech? Or is that talk of love? You who are loved by God, beloved, let us love one another. I think the way we get there with our friends is we love them. The, the most significant sign of God's presence and God's reality is probably not power and miracles. It's probably more people that love. If the church is living in love for one another, people see. If the church is living in judgment and hate toward one another, people see. So John says, dear ones, love one another. Don't be judging each other because you're better than them or you're smarter and your theology is right and theirs is wrong. No. Yes, we speak truth in the context of love. I'm not saying you know, we're all squishy and we never stand up for truth. I wouldn't say that. I am saying, let us love one another. Let the love of God be expressed through our lives. And trust me, if I am close enough to someone that they can tell me their pain, and I can tell them my faults, and I can humbly tell them my story, and tell them I discovered the love of Jesus, and he took care of my guilt, and I'm no longer guilty. But as he is in the world, so am I in the world. We just read, what does that mean? Jesus is righteous, he's justified, he's glorified. The Bible says this, those whom God foreknew, he predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son. You and me, who God knew would be receiving Jesus, 
are being conformed to the image of his son. And as Jesus is in the world, so are we in the world. Because of Jesus' forgiveness, because of what happened on the cross that we celebrate this coming Friday and his resurrection, we stand like Jesus justified before God without any sin because the sin that I committed is now washed away. I'm not only forgiven, I'm cleansed. And I have no fear of judgment. And as Jesus is in the world, so am I in the world. That's a crazy, crazy statement that John made. How dare he say that we're like Jesus? That's what he said, though. And Jesus said, or Paul said, this is how it works. He who knew no sin was made to be sin for us, that in him we might be the righteousness of God in Christ. God takes my sin and puts it on Jesus and takes Jesus' righteousness and puts it on me. And it, either it's a fairy tale or it's the best story in the planet. <laughs> I'm making on the best story in the planet. Oh, I should stop. <laughs> uh, this is the gospel. This is how love is multiplied. Jesus dies for me. And now I to lay my life down in love for you. My love, which is God's love in me, is multiplied through me to you. And your love, which is God's love in you, is now multiplied to those around you. And if we will live in this love, one person at a time, the entire planet will be changed. The entire planet will be changed. One voice, one life, one love at a time. Take your place. Amy, are you in the building? <laughs> Let's, <laughs> Let's stand together. Beloved, you who are loved, let us love one another. For love is of God, and everyone that loves is born of God and knows God. He that does not love does not know God, for God is love. This is how love is expressed. God sent his one and only son into the world to be a atoning sacrifice for our sins. God sent his son of the world that we might live through him. This is how love is expressed. What do you want to do? Let's do, um, let's do this. If you're here and you've never given your life to the love of Jesus, this is your day. I'm looking at the camera because I'm talking to you online. I'm looking at you in the room. If you're here and you've never received the love of God, it starts with the recognition that you, in fact, need his love because you, like me, have sinned against God. And you can't make it right, no matter how hard you try, no matter how much religion, no matter self-realization, no matter how much good works, whatever you do, it does not take care of my sin and your sin. But Jesus loves me and loves you, and he took care of your sin, but you have to receive it. So if you're in the place here and you want to live in his love, say, Jesus, if this is true, I'll take it. I want it. I'll give you my life if you'll take my life. Come into my life and make me new. Wash away my sins and let me experience, let me know your love. And you started a new life. Um, prayer team, could you come to the front, people that are ready to pray? And if you are here and you have any needs, if you are here and you are trying to be born of God and you feel stuck, 
come and get some prayer and some conversation with the people that I think are going to be at the front. This is called Holy Week starting today as we think about Jesus marching into Jerusalem on a donkey, ready to lay down his life, only to pick it up again next Sunday on Easter Sunday. By the way, invite someone to come to Easter Sunday. We hope you've enjoyed this message. This weekly podcast is available on our website, gracevcf.org, where you can learn more about Grace Vineyard and our vision for people everywhere to know and worship God.